listening to Grown Up and Grounded, and I'm Trish, the mom of this duo. And Kate's here too. Yeah, Kate, the middle child. The child that matters. <laughs> That's the assessment. The most, the most. They all matter. The most. They all matter. Uh, today, as mentioned or teased out a little bit with some negativity, uh, oh our topic gosh. today is vulnerability and a little bit of Bre- Brene Brown and her TED Talk. I think the topic for the day is Brene Brown, and we're going to touch on vulnerability. I think it's going to work the other way around. Oh, okay. That's my guess. Why do you say that? Because mom loves Brene Brown. I do. I just rewatched the TED Talk, and I get emotional when I think about it. And I think I technically have some sort of spiritual connection with this woman that I've never met. Um, hmm. Because I feel like we... We'd be best friends? Uh, maybe, but like I just feel like on some level, who she is now, because the way she describes how she was before is feels like how I was before a little bit, and like mm. I feel like we would probably parent in the same style. Uh, so you feel a kinship. I I feel kinship. I feel connection to what she preaches in a very hey, big I, way. I'm not gonna make fun of you for that because I feel like I have that same feeling about you know, quote unquote, strangers all the time. So who, I just who, have that feeling. Who's a famous person that you feel like you have like a, a spiritual connection with that you've never met, but you've only seen them like on the big screen or. Oh, like Anna Kendrick. Great example. Yeah. I think her and I would be best friends. Yeah. I know that there's so many others, but you know, for whatever reason, I just can't like, she's the only one that I had like ready to go, but definitely Anna Kendrick. Like, I feel like we'd be, we'd be very good friends. We'd party it up. Yeah, because there's this thing of, like, not only agreeing with how they are, but also, like, a level of I want to aspire to be like that. So it's, like, this weird combination. I mean, for me, like, even Anna Kendrick, like, the way she's so witty and just, you know. Oh, Kristen Bell, obviously. She's the number one. Like, her and I would be best friends do you ever feel like though for her it's like you have such a connection with veronica mars like is it hard for you to discern your connection uh with kristen bell versus veronica mars or no not at all i mean it's 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 totally possible but i mean it i definitely like feel it not just when i watch the show of veronica mars but also like when kristen bell is in interviews or just even her tweets like all that stuff like i'm like we're on the same page there's just a level of our souls would recognize each other. I felt like that about people in real life too. And I've always been right. About yeah. It. Like when I get that gut feeling about people that I meet, I'm like we're going to be best friends. Like we're something about it. Like we're just, we're on the same wavelength here. We were meant to know each other. I'm always right about it. It's for the record. It's funny because I think and this ties into vulnerability, I never think that way. I mean, I think, I I should correct myself. I might think that way, but then I say they wouldn't want to be my friend or like, I'm too awkward. Like, it'll never happen. Like, I second guess it as soon as I have a thought like that. Hmm. You know, I feel like through doing this podcast with you, I have learned that you really think you are like so, so insanely awkward and like, you're very hard on yourself. You're harder on yourself than I thought you were. Um, I've learned a lot about you, Mom. I know. I mean, that was the goal. Like, who cares if we only have twenty listeners? The whole thing is about <laughs> me and you. 
So, and then we were like, but we need more listeners, but we need more listeners, <laughs> but we should step up our game and that's all coming someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, well now back to Brene and not about me. First mm-hmm. of all, I think, yeah, I mean, it's hard to obviously off the cuff. I do say, oh, I'm awkward and I count myself out a lot, but I think like in that scenario, I'm like, I'm awkward if I go up to them or I don't want to seem overly like, I super think we're going to be best friends. Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I, I feel like I'm very close to like being so open and honest how I am that it would be frightening. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm awkward and I have to rein it in because otherwise I would make them feel uncomfortable. That's the awkward that I'm in in that instance. I mean, but don't you think if you were, if you were on the same page... That they'd then be it too. They, they'd be they'd be on board with that. They'd be like, "Yeah, I, I'm I'm into this this openness." Yeah, I mean that's the thing, right? If you're if you're really finding your other weirdo, like they would be thinking the same thing and also feeling awkward. And I think in most instances, like if you do get to know someone and you say, "Hey," like when we first met, I was like, "I oh, we're gonna be best friends," but I had to chill. Like they would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's always that kind of. And of course, like if someone else was telling me the same thing I'm saying right now, I'd be like, that is stupid. Just get over it and be yourself. <laughs> but the honest but you are truth, you are. the honest yeah. truth is, yeah. That, but I mean, I think that also happens very rarely with me as far as like meeting people and feeling like, oh my gosh, we're going to be best friends. The last time that happened mm-hmm. was with my friend Lisa that I met at Orange Theory. Mm-hmm. So. And are you besties? Uh, we don't talk very often, but like whenever we're together, like there's a click, like we could just talk forever. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, that's just friendship as an adult. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like right. that's totally understandable. And I think the way I overcame that is I was, I was just super excited that night. And also I had a little bit of alcohol. <laughs> yes. That and so then helps. I was like, Hey, let's get to know each other. We're going to, I just was saying whatever was coming into my head, it was just coming out. And I think she was like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love this. which you know everybody needs people like that in their lives absolutely um yeah that's weird to be at a gym thing and be like and I was a little tipsy I mean it was a party it was definitely a party and I won a prize like Like, I don't usually win things either like I won a prize that night I was feeling Mm. myself so but yeah Okay, so back to the topic at hand. You have actually yeah. seen Brene Brown speak uh, in person. In person, because, because she Brene Brown is beloved is, by Starbucks. She yes, she is. Her and Starbucks are linked up, um, besties for life or whatever. <laughs> um, so at our store manager conference in Chicago, she was one of the speakers in like the opening you know, whatever. We had a bunch of people at the end. John Legend performed. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, she was, she was one of the speakers and she didn't talk for very long. It wasn't, it wasn't like her usual like Ted talk length or anything. I think it was like maybe 15 ish minutes, but I, mean, I think her uh, Ted talks she, 20. Oh, okay. I thought it was longer than that. Cause I know she does like 45 minute, like does speaking. I mean, her main one 20. Oh, okay. Well, there's that. So I guess it was her normal link then. Um, she's also done, we do this thing at, at Starbucks once a quarter or so called a pour over session. And basically we 
someone comes and it's it's kind of like a like a mini Starbucks TED talk, mm-hmm. and it's relevant to something in particular. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I can I can think of a few, but she also did one of those, and um, every store manager is like supposed to watch them. Um, you know, every quarter and then we sort of talk about the topics and it helps with like, they do topics around like leadership and coaching conversations and, you know, stuff like that. So, so she's done a lot of stuff with Starbucks in the past. It wasn't just that one event. So Um, do you remember anything from either of those things? uh, I mean, for one of them, and I don't remember which one was which, but she talked, I think it was the pour over session. Mm -hmm. She talked about, um, leaning into discomfort mm-hmm. like to have difficult conversations um and really just embracing that like you know if if it's uncomfortable it's probably a good thing mm-hmm. like don't don't shy away from the uncomfortable conversations just because they're uncomfortable like they're important to have they're even more important to have than the easy conversations blah 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 yeah um, basically around that so that that was like that's something that we still talk a lot about in my store when I'm talking to like developing my supervisors, like, Hey, you know, I know that it's easy for you guys to have the easy coaching conversations and then give me the hard ones or ask for my help with the hard ones. But I really want to push you guys to lean into that discomfort. And if you're uncomfortable, it means you're growing. So we talk about that a lot. Hmm. Yeah. And she does, she has a whole, um, well, she wrote a book about leadership, and so I'm sure that it incorporates vulnerability and all of what you're saying. She talked about what I oh yeah, I think everybody that. at Starbucks, like all the managers, got her book too at one point. I don't know. We've got we've gotten so many books. Hmm, that's cool. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's also a lot. <laughs> it's just like like at least once a year we get like a leadership book about someone or right. something, and it just I don't I don't have. I don't have time, guys. I don't have time. Like, I, well, I think, my free time, I don't want to read books about work. In my free time, I want to play fucking video games. Well, and I think it mm-hmm. also is a certain mindset of, like, I very much pull away from things that I view as, like, self-help or self-improvement. Because a lot of times, for me personally, they are very, here's the way to deal with this. Here's the way to be better. And they take they take away the fact that every individual is going to get better at that one thing in a different way. Uh, there's not really a cookie cutter response to self-improvement. Yeah, there are tips and tricks, but a lot of times mm-hmm. they don't present it in such a way. They present it as this is the yeah. way. <clears throat> I mean, I think that's what I like about Brene is that uh, she's really the first self-help person that I really responded to because she doesn't, I mean, she does give some tips, obviously, but like, it's more like, you know, you should focus on these kind of things. Like, uh, mm-hmm. just, uh, it's not just like simple be gratitude, but she does talk about leaning into gratitude, but, um, like letting, raising your kids, just letting them just love them and let them know they're worthy of belonging. That's what she says in her one Ted talk. But like mm-hmm. we tried, one of the ways that we deal with not being vulnerable is we try to perfect the things around us, not just ourselves, but also children. Hmm. And that, uh, we have to stop trying to make our kids perfect. And what our job is as parents is to just say, you're imperfect, you're wired for struggle, and you're worthy of love and belonging because that's 
that's what she kind of found was the difference between people who could live wholeheartedly and feel worthy were that they were, they have an innate belief in themselves kind of feeling like they are worthy of being loved mm-hmm. and belonging. Like everybody's vulnerable. Like it doesn't take away their vulnerability, but they, they have a sense of like feeling like that they deserve that. Mm-hmm. And so one of the interesting things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, and she does have a podcast, like even like, I love her podcasts, but like, I'm the same way at night when I'm going to sleep, I want to listen to true crime. I don't want to think about how I'm going to be better, how to make the world better, how to, you know, I want to hear about how they found this murderer. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people would agree with you on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I true crime is like the thing. Oh yeah, it's um, it's it, and the podcast space is very um, saturated with that. I think we recently talked about that as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is a podcast I'm listening to right now that I was thinking I needed to tell you about. So a little off topic, but the um, the lady that does this podcast is she's a criminal profiler. Mm-hmm. And she worked for Scotland, Scotland Yard. And she's examining this case from the 80s where there was a serial killer. But she's basically doing it in a context of how the way the police handle it and the way the media handles it, how it it takes away from the victim and glorifies the criminal and, and how mm. so much of that is, especially when this happened in the 80s, is just based in misogyny and how we have to change our thought process even about victim blaming and the way things are investigated. It's really fascinating to hear her talk about it. It's, um, yeah. So there's that. Interesting. It is very interesting. So it's pretty horrific, this murderer, but that's a whole nother topic. Yeah. I don't think we need to really get into that. Yeah. No, I don't like, like, I didn't even like hearing about the details, uh, let alone, uh, listening to it. Mm-hmm. Or sharing it. Uh, so anyway, so ha- one of the things in her TED Talk, and I found it funny that a couple people recommended that we talk about this too, but um, mm-hmm. she says she kind of put it out there, like how do you define vulnerability? What would your answer be to that? I don't know. I mean, I think that's actually, because I originally said we should talk about like vulnerability you know, I sort of didn't include Brene Brown in that, but, mm-hmm. um, what I actually want to talk about sort of is, is re- related to that question, but I don't know how I would answer it, I guess, is the long and short of it. So, um, do you feel like it ties into shame? Mm, yeah, I guess it's like, sort of interconnected yeah like being vulnerable is like admitting things that maybe you find shameful I guess I don't know something like that I don't know I never really tried to verbalize it I suppose yeah I mean one one of the things that she says is just that shame is like our fear of disconnection and I think that pretty much summarizes 
everything, right? Because you're afraid someone's going to see something about you or inside of you or whatever and then, like, want to pull away, right? Like, it's... Do you feel like that's kind of an accurate... Do you relate to that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like, yeah, I guess. I don't know if that's exactly what I would say, but I, I can see it, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the funny thing, too, is she says uh, nobody wants to talk about shame. Like, but the less we talk about shame and vulnerability, the less connections we have with other people. Mm -hmm. And so it's all just the circle. So I think it's kind of funny just hearing her talk about it because she was such a scientist and to kind of find that she was going to have to be vulnerable to deal with vulnerability and mm -hmm. how she describes that is pretty, pretty funny in my opinion. But mm -hmm. I don't know, like this whole thing of showing these sides of you and still realizing that even with your faults, like this is kind of what I think about vulnerability that mm -hmm. even with your faults, like you're worthy, like you're enough. And, mm -hmm. but it's hard because I don't know if it's as hard for men or men just don't think about it. I feel like a lot of it for us is like, we're kind of told we're not in subtle ways. Like if you just, you know, like fat versus skinny, like the, just like the media. Yeah. I mean, and yeah there, there's a whole lot <clears throat> of socialization. I think that comes into play there for sure. And you can look at gender, you can look at race, like all of that is going to, right. I mean, at the end of the day, it's that's tied into everything, right? Like, you can't really have a conversation about dang near anything that doesn't have, that isn't touched by racism or misogyny or whatever. True. Uh, and I think vulnerability, yeah. especially, you know, that is a big part of it because it's easier for, for minorities to feel as though they are not worthy because of those messages that come through socialization. But um, even removing that from it or, you know, not removing it because you can't, but putting it aside. Um, and I think it's there, there's other things that can really make you feel that way or make, make someone um, feel that way even more so than they already did. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like behaviors of other people, messages that they get from other people directly, not just from society as a whole and socialization, but like from other people, from people directly will influence that feeling for you too. Um, people who had bad relationship with their parents or whose parents constantly told them you're not enough unless you get these grades or unless you do these things. Uh, you know, it's very, very common for them as adults to really struggle with that feeling of not, I don't need to be perfect to be enough. Am I making sense? Yeah, so totally. Like okay. okay. And that, I mean, I think that's the thing, like, I talk about what it's like for women, but for men, it's kind of the opposite. Like there are a lot of social ingrained things of like what it means to be a man. And obviously vulnerability does not fall into that category at, yeah. at all. I mean, that's so true. That's a different I mean, how kind many, of pressure. There's so many men I can think of that feel like, well, if I don't make enough money, then I'm not enough. Like if I don't, if I'm not the breadwinner, then I'm not enough or fertility. I mean, for men and women, but in, in different ways, like that plays a part of it too. Right. Like if I, society has told me that I need to be this and if I can't be that, I mean, isn't that at the end of the day and sorry if this is crass, but isn't that where the overcompensation with dick jokes, like 
the size of your dick. Like that's directly related to how manly you are and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it, it all ties together, right? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that, that men uh, have to deal with as far as not being vulnerable, like just even mm-hmm. showing any emotion. Anger is the only acceptable emotion. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just like toxic masculinity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that all comes toxic masculinity at its core is don't be vulnerable. <laughs> I feel like that's, yeah, that's a big part of it too. Well, and I think, and, and too, like men don't have the same kind of connections that women do. So they suffer in different ways about not connecting with others because of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of women can have connections and it may take a lot for them to get like more intimate or more close with other women because they mm-hmm. feel like they feel competitive or whatever. But mm-hmm. men, it's kind of like one of the, another thing that's just not really a priority or like a given if you if you don't see that model of like really close male relationships it's hard hard for a lot of men to have have it I think yeah because I mean they're they're sort of socialized to not allow themselves to feel those feelings about other people I mean that's how you get in the the weird culture of like Oh, the old ball and chain like I don't even really love my wife like I, uh, I'm just with her because I'm supposed to be like I, I, I understand how we got here like to the to a point where we're making those jokes because you're not supposed to be vulnerable enough to actually love your spouse but actually stop for a second and think about how toxic that is yeah and I think that's kind of the one thing that all comes down to what Brene was saying too is like the whole thing is the, the fear, uh, like people were put on earth are, were biologically wired to make connections with other human beings. But we also are so afraid that we're going to lose that connection because there are things that we don't like about ourselves or things that we're mm-hmm. afraid to let other people see that we also don't make those connections. So it's just mm-hmm. this double edged sword that we've, we've got to kind of deal with. And I think I took away from it that a lot of it's also personality, like the shift in the way you see things is also, it's easier for some personalities. Like I feel like it's way easier for my personality to see things in a certain way uh, that other people might be feel more shame around it or like, like Mm -hmm. even how I was, how I say I'm awkward and everything. Right. Like I, yeah, I, I acknowledge that I think that, but often it's easy for me to step out of that. Mm-hmm. Where some people might be, you know, be, develop a social anxiety because they feel like they're awkward. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. So much is personality, too, I think. I don't know. She doesn't really talk about personality level. More just, like, how they believe mm-hmm. um, that they're... And I don't know, like, I wonder if sometimes, like, a creative, creative side or creative nature, which is also personality, has anything to do with that as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, there's so many factors, right? Like what you see modeled in your parents and your relationships, uh, where you're an only child. Cause you're obviously, if you're an only child, you have a different, uh, view on connections with others than you do if you have siblings. Mm-hmm. 
but in the end, how do you, how do you kind of overcome that and are willing and open to show your vulnerability? I mean, that's the challenge, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what she talks about. Yeah. The, the, the vulnerable vulnerability thing that I wanted to talk about originally was the idea of like, uh, like for some backstory, um, it was sort of brought to my attention that, you know, they're, they're after everything that happened with my ex-boyfriend and everything. And I, um, didn't, I didn't feel comfortable. Like there were parts of myself that I didn't feel comfortable having other people get to know. Uh, I guess that's still true. It's not only past tense, but I've gotten a lot better at it. So a friend of mine, a a newer friend of mine that I met, you know, post all of that happening Mm -hmm. pointed out to me that I, um, talk a lot about vulnerable topics or topics that other people might not be comfortable talking about. Great example being like sex and drugs. Like, you know, when I go out and making all, I, I make all these jokes and that's just where I'm comfortable. Uh, and it makes people feel like they know me well, but I do it as a deflection so that they don't see these other parts or these other things that I don't want to talk about. And this friend pointed out as a great example, like, you know, you, you'll, you'll talk about sex all day long, but if somebody asks you about religion, you shut down, like you're a completely different person because it's a, that's a part of myself that I'm not comfortable talking about. Uh, and so this idea of allowing yourself to be vulnerable versus talking about vulnerable topics like they're not the same thing so for a lot of people talking about things like sex makes them feel vulnerable and knowing that someone who doesn't want to feel vulnerable will talk about those things to give like the impression that I'm not a vulnerable person like I I'm like look at me I'm comfortable like don't look too closely because you're not gonna like what you see so I'm gonna do this like, is this making sense? Yeah. Um, it, it's like the, that, that concept of. It's a faux connection. Yeah. And you need to actually allow yourself to be vulnerable in order to make connections, like not do things that other, that make you seem like you're comfortable being vulnerable, but you're, you're, you're really not. You can't have connections with other people, true deep connections, unless you are vulnerable with them. Right. And that's kind of goes back to another thing we've touched on and thought about maybe having a topic of, of intimacy. Yeah, that's true. Because what, what makes one person feel vulnerable is not what might make another person feel vulnerable. And the same is true for intimacy. What one person defines as intimacy and closeness might not be the same thing that, you know, or not even might, it definitely would not be the same thing that another person is going to find intimate Mm -hmm. or vulnerable or close or whatever that that's all different person to person. So, and I think that that sort of goes back to your point too, about how something as simple as self-help, nothing can be one size fits all. It's just not possible because what might be very difficult for someone else is going to, you know, to talk about or to, to have that moment of self-realization or whatever, it's going to be super easy for someone else to have that same moment. So you, you have to figure it out for yourself and that's why everybody should go to therapy. (laughs) yeah I don't know um it's complicated it's all complicated I uh 
Yeah. The, the religion thing is interesting because that was one of the things that I was thinking about as she was talking and then she brought it up and then Ted talked because numbing and perfection are things that religion can do, but at the same mm-hmm. time, they take away the, the opportunity to be vulnerable because part of religion's philosophy in general, at least the religion that I was involved in, that we were involved in, Mormonism, is um, vulnerability equates to weakness and weakness mm-hmm. is, opens the door to all kinds of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. On the just just in general, the idea of like perfection. I mean, like that's you know they'll say over and over again, nobody's perfect, nobody's perfect. But you can be perfect as long as you do these things, and when you do mess up, you follow these steps. That's a but, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty general thing for all religion. I think just the steps might be different, and what what you would define as a sin. Well, even that, but that's a pretty regular topic. When you take away even the perfection, just the idea of, well, and in a way to obtain this perfection or to reach that goal, there's the idea of what you should be doing, not Mm -hmm. or who you should be or how you should be, as opposed to just being. Mm -hmm. Uh, Great example, too, is, you know, women in most religious circles are going to be told over and over again that like get married, have kids. Like that's, that's your role basically. And what about the women who don't want that? Who, what about women who want to get married, but don't want to have kids? Like, you know, they've just never felt that desire to be a mom or now, the ones who want to work in religion. Yeah. You know, you're, you're basically given that message that that's, that's not okay. That's, you know, have the kids and you'll, you'll feel that way. You just don't know yet. But once you have the children, you'll feel it. And that leads, that can lead to some, like, if you have a child you don't want, I mean, that child is not going to be raised very happy. And I can think of, I can, I can think of some real life examples from uh, people from the church that that definitely relates to. Yeah. I don't really know anybody that had kids that didn't want to have kids, but I do know there is a, a little bit of a struggle, but also it's another one of those things that you don't talk about. Well, and it's interesting because that's when, so what did she say here? Um, that part of, um, the addiction that people have to avoid vulnerability is to make uncertain things certain. And she says that religion falls in that category, that it's gone from a belief, a belief in faith and mystery to certainly like this is the way and the only way I'm right. You're wrong, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And she said, it's definitely that way in politics right now. And I, I kind of found that pretty fascinating because it's true. Like there's, this is, this is the only way as soon as you start thinking that and start having certainty uh, again, like kind of how the self-help books that I was saying, like, this is the way to, raise your kids or this is the way to be a better whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It shuts you down from other experiences. Yeah. And I, I, I just wish I knew more people who lived internationally. I would love to know how this 
is different in other countries because like right now, Americans, obviously we're just very addicted to things and uh, a lot of miserable unhappy people take yeah. it antidepressants and it's a lot of it comes to finances too and like the 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 capitalist society where we have to just work 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 to be able to afford anything like it's just there's a lot that goes that's different when you look at America I'd love to know about vulnerability and uh the ideas of perfection and numbing in other kind of countries and different Mm -hmm. different dynamics uh socially and culturally for sure i mean i think that there is a definitely a big 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 piece of it that is a very uniquely american thing but i think that there is a degree of it you know that's still pretty universal too for sure i mean i think the the vulnerability and the need to connect and the ways we avoid connecting Mm -hmm. that's um, a human experience that's a human experience i'm just wondering like the degrees and how Mm -hmm. people adapt to that differently Mm -hmm. like just for example oh gosh i'm bringing her up again but she's the only person i know that lives internationally but she was my friend that lives in holland was saying that Mm -hmm. it's taken her a long time and she's finally used to it in Holland, people don't like have curtains on their windows. So you like everybody just sees into your living room and waves to you and it's just totally vulnerable. It's hmm. not it's a non-issue. Mhm. I mean like that's a that's like a very visual example of how America is so closed off, right? Like there were a couple houses like that in North Carolina come to think of it that cuz we went for a walk one day and a lot of them had just like big windows in the front, no curtains. Like I could see mm-hmm. their whole house. I was looking at their furniture. Mm-hmm. It's pretty interesting. Maybe it's just how safe you feel. Yeah. I mean, I think some of that has to do with crime, right? Like, I don't know the, For the sure. idea that someone can see inside and see what you have, then it'd be easy to get in. And I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I think that, I don't think that's really a truth, but sure. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's just what, like what my gut says, but are there any, is there anything that backs it up? Probably not. No. I mean, cause if they it's want a big in, they're going to get in, whether you curtain industry is what it is. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened to the, that girl from you, Beck. Maybe she was from Holland. Maybe. Or you another know, country. She, she didn't, yeah. Or she North Carolina. Know. She didn't know you were supposed to put curtains. <laughs> to stop people from looking at you while you walked around in your underwear. Like she just had no idea, you know, she didn't know any better. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know if, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I feel like maybe that's it too. Like in America we're we are walking around our underwear in our living room. So you got to have curtains <laughs> or not care. That's so funny because our backslider, you know, obviously if a neighbor was at the fence, looking over the fence, they could see into our living room. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of different scenarios that would have to be just perfectly aligned. And he always gets like wigged out if I'm walking around downstairs in my underwear and, um, or like the neighbors could see you. Yeah. If they came over to the fence and were looking directly in through our sliding glass. Like door. if they were trying to, if see they were it, trying they'd to see me. And so what? Like they'd see me in the backyard in a bikini. It's the same as me being in my underwear downstairs. Like it doesn't, that's kind of what I always go back to. Like, well, this is how I look in a bikini. So does it really matter if they see me in my underwear? No. I mean, I'm not going to parade around in the front yard with it, but just mm-hmm. saying, like, it doesn't, 
Once I catch a glimpse it's not the end of the world. So if I was downstairs in the living room in my swimsuit, he would be fine. But because it's my underwear, sometimes he's very old fashioned that way. <laughs> he's kind of a weird guy. <laughs> he's yeah, he's great. Uh yeah. Uh speaking of vulnerability, when we um we just came back from visiting the grandkids, just advising our listeners, but he was pretty emotional leaving. And I was mm-hmm. kind of I was kind of surprised that he was. So it, it's always, I mean, he's not not an emotional guy. So that, did, but I just didn't think he'd get that emotional to leave the grandkids. But he was, mm-hmm. and it's always very hard to leave. So, oh, yeah, of course. I mean, they're at that age where every day is something new. You know, especially Oliver. He's, I don't know if I'm supposed to use his name or not. Because it doesn't really matter. Especially the uh, new baby. Especially what? The new baby. Every day. Yeah. With, with, with the, the newborn who's just a month old. Two. Uh, two months old. Every day is something new. You know, ev- every day is a new discovery. So I get it. Yeah. I wish that I could be closer too, but. That sucks. I know. Yeah. And it's what it is. Just thank goodness we live in the age of FaceTime and Skype and everything. So we can at least have some sort of connection that's not just writing letters mailing pictures even like I know like if if it wasn't for FaceTime I feel like mm-hmm. he would not even know me our grand my grandkids it's true it's very true so unfortunate then, then I'd really it, have it to move true. and then what would you do when I have kids well they're I mean, only going to be there two years so I'm mean, like if I did move do we know back. that for certain though like do we know that for sure only well there is nothing years. for certain because his he has to apply for a job at the end of the two years. Or like, exactly. So he could so. Be, end up anywhere. He wants exactly. to end up in certain areas. Actually, he will be applying for jobs before the two years is up. So he should have, know where he's going at that point. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, because he's doing family practice, I don't think it's going to be hard. A lot of doctors don't go into family practice, I guess, or something. That's the impression I got talking to him. Yeah, but still though, didn't didn't this is this is feeling uh this is feeling very familiar. I feel like we had the same <laughs> conversation before, and they stayed in North Carolina. So, just saying. Well, we can end with this note from my friend Brene, my buddy. <laughs> she says, um, "If we can say I'm enough, we stop screaming and start listening. We're kinder and gentle." gentler to the people around us and we're kinder and gentler to ourselves so you're enough everybody you are enough and you are worthy of love Mm -hmm. and anybody that doesn't think so or make you feel that way kick them to the curb unless you're like a serial killer and then maybe (laughs) reevaluate other than that you're enough If you like Grown Up and Grounded, please leave us a review on whatever platform you're using. This will help other people find our podcast. As always, we want to give a big shout out to Dave Depper, who provides the music we use in our episodes. The song you're listening to is titled Can Can 2, and we got it from the Free Music Archive. You can check out Dave at davedepper.com. You can edit that last part out, too. Of course. Is there... My uterus on this podcast. <laughs> so many talks about your uterus. Um, I don't think we have talked about it very often on the podcast. We talk about it pretty often, like, you know, regularly. 
in real life. True. We talk more about my missing uterus than we do about your live and intact uterus. <laughs> hey, it's pretty cool that you don't have one. I mean, that's like a, you know, that makes, that's, a, that's a special thing. I don't want to do a fake cheery voice. It sounds fake. Well, definitely. You're not cheery. You're always crabby. <laughs> Why are you like this? Because <laughs> I'm amazing.